Uh, I'm Alex Hirsch, the voice of Anonymous Town Person number three. Uh, I'm Mike Aranda, uh, voice of everyone's favorite Lee and Thompson. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is Headhunters, uh, the third episode of the series and yeah. the second episode that I ever wrote of yeah. television. <laughs> yeah, and that, that we put into production, second episode. Um, this this weird opening with Ducktective, this was the whole reason that this even exists was just every episode when we started it there was sort of a theme or a broad idea like this is the Lake Monster episode this is the mystery episode yeah. so we wanted to put in your heads that we're going to be doing Sherlock Holmesy mystery whodunity kind of stuff yeah um, and uh, Ducktective became kind of beloved by the fans yeah that was a weird thing I didn't predict that this one little one-off joke would be so appreciated. So th this was also something where we just treated the mystery shack. There was no actual layout of this shack or building, what it was, yeah. how many rooms there were. We basically just assumed that whenever we needed a room, there was a room. It's just me, your Grunkle Stan! <laughs> <laughs> I think that joke's kind of funny. <laughs> Yucking it up over here. Uh, please turn your sound systems down because Mike has a loud laugh. <laughs> and get ready for this gut-busting episode. There's yeah, going to be baby. a lot of yucks, chuckles, <laughs> lols, guffaws, har-hars. That's right. Someone <laughs> call the yuck police. <laughs> um, so this episode... It, th this episode is a mildly traumatizing one for me because if you've, if you've been listening to these in order, and if you have, congratulations on being a nerd like us. <laughs> yeah. Because that's what we would do. But if you haven't, no worries. But if you have, um, you'll recall that Gobblewonker is an episode. It's the first episode we ever wrote. We um, did like 20 drafts of it. Yeah. This episode... I basically had to write in three days. Um, <laughs> it broke Alex as a human being. <laughs> what was I like while I was writing this episode, Mike? Well, uh, I don't necessarily know. I just know that one day I walked into your office and there were computer keys on the ground and you had to leave. <laughs> <laughs> I might have angrily smashed my keyboard in rage uh, because a draft uh, closed while I was working on this. Um, yeah, I mean, basically... We were new to television. We worked really hard on the first episode. We realized, oh no, we have to write yeah, and produce another one. 19 more episodes <laughs> in a row, and we're behind. Um, and I need to figure out how to write a mystery. Um, the, the sort of two goals of this episode in my mind were, one, I wanted to establish tonally that this is a show that had mysteries in it. Um, and two, uh, I wanted to... Um, I wanted to actually accomplish the functionality of a true mystery story. Yeah. Um, and then the, the second one was I wanted to get a sense of the town. Yeah. Um, we had gotten to know Dipper Mabel Stan Seuss a little bit, Wendy. We saw her face. But I was trying to think of an excuse to go around town. So the idea was if they're investigating a mystery, they're yeah, going door to door. Stan's got a first yeah. mission. And so we're going to have to meet townsfolk. Like, you know, I'm a big fan of The Simpsons. Yeah. There's this idea that there's a big, crazy town full of people. Um, and I had to invent them in the same three days that I had to also come up with this plot. <laughs> um, figure out how everything worked. Figure out the setups. I spent a lot of late nights, uh, I guess... A lot of late hours in three nights on Wikipedia just reading what is the structure of a mystery. Yeah. You need to start with a really strange question, and then you need to have a red herring, and then you need to have a plausible answer that then turns out to be wrong, and then you need to have a more satisfying, weirder answer. Yeah. Um, so I was trying to figure that out while I was also still teaching myself Final Draft. <laughs> well, and it was cool, too, because we, we were able to, through using wax figures actually have like a death in a kid's show? Yes, I, I think I have to credit our writer, Zach Paez. I think it was Zach's idea. I think I think Tim McKeown was in the mix too, but yeah, I, I think it was like a brainstorm with all those guys where we came up with the idea of like, 
oh, we could get away with killing people. <laughs> we could get away with literally murdering characters. We, yeah, we wanted to do a murder whodunit, and the question was, how do you do that in a kid's show? Yeah. And I think I had the idea of Stan is a wax figure that gets decapitated. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think Tim was figuring out some of the structure. And I think Zach was the guy who said... What if he was murdered by a living wax figure? Yeah. And it was like, yeah. oh, that's an episode. That's yeah, a story. That totally. that hits all the Gravity Falls buttons. Um, <laughs> speaking of hitting buttons, uh, Seuss's keyboard makes appearances in multiple <laughs> episodes after this. We were delighted that Seuss had a keyboard and fancied himself yeah. really good at it. Um, those fishermen again. There's We got more caricatures of our crew. Um, so, you know, Old Man McGucket makes another appearance. Free Pizza Guy exists yeah. only for this episode and the gag that he came for free pizza, and then he just became part of the crowd in every other episode. When we saw a guy who is cosplaying as Free Pizza Guy, we were like, we've done it. <laughs> we, were, we were really excited. If you're listening to this Free Pizza Guy cosplayer, you're a hero and we love you. Um, this uh, this episode features the first appearance of uh, Toby Determined. That joke literally came from the fact that in our outline it said, uh, Grunkle Stan meets a bunch of to-be-determined characters that we haven't <laughs> invented yet. Um, so Toby Determined's name comes from that. Uh, Chandra Jimenez is us making fun of our uh, wonderful artist, Sean Jimenez. Yeah. Um, he was totally cool with us using his name. He was honored <laughs> to have his name in there. Um, I always had this idea that Toby Determined... I was always trying to put pun names into the show, which I don't think Mike loved. <laughs> I hate puns. <laughs> I love puns. <laughs> I was always like, would cross out the puns in the script and Alex would write them back in again. <laughs> I Yeah, it's like Mike wants things to be naturalistic and emotional. I yeah. want them to be overly clever and full of puns. <laughs> um, and, you know, together. See, quack the case right here. Here's our second uh, <laughs> subtitle joke. <laughs> Big into subtitles. Well, see, I mean, the reason I put a dumb pun like quack the case in there wasn't because that's funny. It's because yeah. a corny show would have a line like that, yeah. and then it would be funny that he would be annoyed by it. Yeah, yeah. Well, the duck the duck was, would be like ten times smarter than the, the show that he's in. This toothbrush race? Oh, yeah. Did that come from you, Mike? Yeah, that, that, sound, that sounds like me, because it's like I like the idea of the kids just having fun for no reason. Toothbrush race syrup race it's all that same kind of thing of like show yeah. them being kids um there's a moment in that first act or earlier where dipper and mabel finish each other's sentences yeah um and then they step over each other and they kind of laugh about it yeah that's something that i was always trying to do particularly yeah. in the records is can we have kind of a slightly more naturalistic dialogue if totally, possible yeah. and, and and alex added a lot of stuff like I, last minute on this episode where it was like the um where the the characters were just like you know randomly kicking or Mabel was saying bazow 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 just to kind of keep the keep the characters alive even if there was no jokes happening yeah it's something we discovered that is that whenever the character does something that doesn't relate to the plot that's almost that's when they come to life yeah totally. like if the point of the scene is we need to go on an investigation and Mabel goes on a random side quest to like yeah. help a biker find his lost love then she is alive yeah as totally. a character rather than just following the mission yeah um this is our introduction of uh, this is where we really get to sort of get a sense of Blubs and Durland. Um, I really liked the idea of country cops sassing Dipper for being some fancy cosmopolitan <laughs> city boy, which is a completely incorrect perception of Dipper. He's just like a normal kid. Yeah, yeah. And they're just like, ooh-wee, you're going to bring your big city ways to this. Um, 
We the idea that Blubs and Durland would be really good friends to the point of maybe even being in love with each other wasn't where we started with Blubs yeah. and Durland. Well, it seemed like it seems so sweet that like they went to slumber parties together and they you know told each other scary ghost stories and then we just sort of that thread just kept getting followed to. Yeah, we we were very sort of trope aware when we were making this show, um, and we were always trying to turn tropes on their head and twist them. Like we love them, but we wanted to play with them. Yeah. The idea of there's such a trope of the you know hard cop and the bumbling rookie, and the cop always busting his rookie's chops. Yeah. We thought it would be funny if every time the rookie screws up, the cop is like, "That's the best thing I've ever seen," <laughs> just because it's so weird. It's like you are a diamond in the rough. And that <laughs> gradually blossomed into them becoming soulmates. <laughs> Um, so setting up all the details of this, the axe and the steps and the holes in the shoes, this is why I was like smashing my keyboard at like <laughs> 3 a.m. Uh, just because I'd never written a mystery before. And it, it's surprisingly hard to make those things connect. Yeah, it's, well, it's hard to make it satisfying, too, because then you look back and you're like, oh, all the pieces came together perfectly. But it's hard to set up those pieces. Yeah, they, they, mysteries want to be broken when you write them. Breaking the case. <laughs> Little things like that. And then this Mabel with the axe. We have an axe. Re, re, re. <laughs> That's, those are the types of things that we would add very late in production. Like we'd write the script, we'd board it, we'd go to um, animatic, and then we'd add these gags right before we shipped it off yeah. to Korea just because we were like, can the characters be more alive? Yeah. Is there something they can do that makes them seem less like they're just following a script? This is the place. <gasps> Got the fake IDs? Here goes nothing. Sorry, but we don't serve minors. We're here to interrogate Manly Dan the Lumberjack for the murder of... Um, we were always looking for opportunities for Mabel to use her crafting skills. <laughs> <laughs> this is another... The the first time I did this, I, in the original script, I had this idea that Dipper and Mabel were going to do two separate interrogations. Uh, Dipper was going to take the playground, like elementary school kids, and Mabel was going to take this insane, terrifying biker bar. And we discover that Mabel makes best friends with all the bikers, um, and yeah. that Dipper just gets his butt handed to him by a bunch of five-year-olds. <laughs> um, but there was never really time for it. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting. Like when you're when you're writing one of these things, you you often often the challenge is cutting it down. Like often mm -hmm. the scripts were way too long, and we would have to get rid of a bunch of stuff that we liked just to get it down to time. And but often through the process of that, you figure out what's valuable, what's not. What are the A plus jokes? What are the like B jokes? And it usually like almost I would say nine times out of ten helps the episode. Um, that guy, Tyler Cute Biker, running in saying, get him, get him. That was not in the script. Um, that came from one of our artists, Tyler. Yeah, that was Tyler Chan. Just adding this random guy running in saying, get him. We didn't, we, we were like, it was one of these jokes where I didn't know why I thought it was funny. Yeah, I exactly. couldn't figure out. It just seemed like a riff on just a country thing. Yeah. That there's one guy who's really excited that a fight breaks <laughs> out. Um, and then we named him after Tyler, yeah. um, our, our, our writer. And then we just started sticking him in every scene where Manly Dan yeah. was there. There was no other concept behind that <laughs> and also we get we have will forte doing the voice and like will forte is like one of the funniest people in the world he's a phenomenal comic <laughs> actor like leading man and he's doing this one dumb line for this one running joke that we don't even fully understand why it's there but once we started it we just put it everywhere he was such a good sport about it and he would come in do say okay just just like before get him get him <laughs> okay is that it all right cool thanks guys 
Uh, you'll notice that in this list of people, Mikey R's name is Mike Rihanna's name is in there. We were we were so excited to be making a cartoon show, and we were so self uh, self congratulatory. <laughs> As you can tell by this commentary. <laughs> yeah, I was talking about how hilarious our jokes are. These like just dumb puns. Um, these uh, Kevin Michael Richardson and. Uh, Keith Ferguson. Keith Ferguson did phenomenal job as these two characters. Yeah, those guys are always like, adding. <laughs> Toby, so in the script it called for like a, an ugly sad man wearing a 1950s <laughs> reporter cap. And I think the first design I we saw was so ugly. <laughs> I said, please make it a little less ugly. I don't think people can tolerate this on their screen. And this was three passes of de-uglifying... <laughs> So if you think Toby Determined looks gross, you should have seen the first Toby Determined. This guy's a GQ model compared to where he started. Yeah, it looked like his face was melting. Toby Determined, your yesterday's news. This um, Toby Determined is voiced by uh, uh, Greg Turkington, who plays a character named Neil Hamburger, who's a t like sort of this archetypal concept of a really dirty, awful comedian. It's funny if you like <laughs> comedy that hurts well and and part part of what's funny about neil hamburger is just how profoundly sad he is the, yeah the character of somebody who's tries to act enthusiasm but is very depressing so yeah this episode like i said was written very very quickly yeah um so a lot of these ideas just sort of came in at the last second uh it's we've got a reporter his name is toby um he's got a crush on the other reporter yeah well, and, and, and some of the jokes here that, like, in another episode, we might be like, eh, that's too weird, kind of just were like, okay, it's, <laughs> it's animated, all right, people, yeah. people are spending hours on this joke, you know. Yeah, there's a there's an entire team of people working hard to render Toby making out with a piece of cardboard. <laughs> um, this is, I'll say that, you know, even though a lot of the things in the show were something we had to discover as we were working, we knew from the very beginning, and if you're listening to this, spoiler alert, um, you know, we knew from the very beginning that Stan has a identical twin um, who has disappeared that Stan misses. Um, and so all of this stuff about Stan, you know, we play it as Stan self-absorbed. That's why he yeah. loves the statue. But um, like we knew, we did know that Stan has a brother and that yeah. this is kind of a sneaky way of suggesting this duality between one Stan and two Stans. Yeah, that was one of the big pillars of the of the, of the mystery, mystery of the series. And there are things that we did not, we weren't 100% sure who our final big bad was going to be. Yeah. Um, Bill was sort of more an inside joke than he was a character totally, at this stage. Yeah. yeah, I remember when Alex was like, what if Bill's the villain? I was like, you have lost the plot, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is utter madness. But it ended up great. Um, so this was one of our more memorable records because we did have Larry King and Coolio <laughs> come to provide their own voices. Um and John Oliver is the yeah. voice of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, you know, obviously he's gone on to uh, do Last Week Tonight, and he's amazing. Yeah, he's and he was super funny. Um, th there's a scene that's going to be coming up. When they defeat him and he melts, I told John Oliver, I said, can you just have him scream a bunch of stereotypically British things? <laughs> and so when he's going, oh, what a hullabaloo, what a ruckus, oh, what a Paddington bear of a go, God oh, save the marmalade. Queen. Yeah, that was just John Oliver, like, going off on his own Britishness. Um, this was a th this was another challenge was just deciding who are the wax figures going to be. Yeah. I wanted them to be a mix of historical figures, uh, you know, fictional characters and then just something really weird and contemporary yeah. but like old contemporary because the idea was that 
Stan had this 10 years ago. Yeah, exactly. So we were like, uh, Larry King and Julio, <laughs> I think these uh, these references will age well. <laughs> well, I think you, we, we made a list of like, here's 25 people we want, and then three, you know, like the, there were about 10 that actually said yes or something. Man, but when your uncle went to sleep, we would rule the night. Hey, I told you to stop that. Make me. <laughs> it was a charmed life for us cursed beings. That is, until your uncle closed up shop. Um, so our artists did a really amazing job in this episode. A yeah. lot of backgrounds, a lot of character designs. Uh, Joe Pitt and Phil Rinda designed all those wax figures. Uh, yeah. Ian Worrell, our art director, you know, his first time art directing a TV series, and he was adding all this mood and atmosphere to these scenes, um, making them feel actually kind of spooky. Yeah. Like, that's kind of scary, the idea that Sherlock Holmes is in your house with an axe. <laughs> Totally, because it could be really goofy, but um, they played it played it well when we needed it to play for drama. Yeah, we were trying to figure out how to make something that could be alternatingly goofy and silly and also kind of scary. Like yeah. this moment where his eyes roll back into his head <laughs> <laughs> and he says, now that you know our secret, you must die. What do we do? I don't know. can melt them with hottie melty things. Um, this was a, a late idea that they could fight them with hot things, and it yeah. resulted in a really cool sequence. Yeah. Totally. Um, and I got to give a shout out to our composer, Brad Breek, yeah. um, who I said, I need music that's fun and upbeat and also kind of weird. And he nailed it. Yeah. This cue is incredible. Like, yeah. I often reference this cue in other episodes. Like, how can we do what we did here? Yeah. Because I'm engaged and also... <laughs> and it's like... <laughs> that, that bit, just to anyone who was confused by it, that's Groucho Marx air pantomiming a cigar that we were not allowed to show him <laughs> use. So we had to erase the cigar and have him say, wow, why is there nothing in my hand? <laughs> like, that's like uh, breaking the 10th wall at that point. <laughs> but yeah, Brett, Brett, Brett did an awesome job. At, in every episode, but the, this this cue is really great. Oh, and that endless banjo flurry chase scene in Gobble Wonker, yeah. where he had to score like a six minute <laughs> chase and have it build and not get repetitive. Amazing work. And he learned the, how to play the banjo. Also, listen to the Meishi, his band, and Skull Tape. Uh, Brad Brick is amazing. Yeah. Also, Cal Arts. Also, Cal Arts grad. That's true. Um, the this is another sequence that. We were really pushing. Mabel grabs a hot poker from <laughs> the fireplace, throws it to Dipper, which he uses to sword fight an adult, and then they climb unsupervised on a roof with no guard railings. In Gobblewonker, we had maybe 10 conversations about how they had to have life vests even when yeah. they're near a boat. But in this episode, they're sword fighting on the roof, my friend. <laughs> and also in, in the first episode, we had her use the word hickey. Which I found in a, in an old episode of Leave It to Beaver, they use the word hickey, and they're like, hickey's inappropriate. <laughs> so we had to change it to smooch mark, but kids <laughs> kids fighting adults with swords on the roof uh, was that, totally That's cool. fine. Hickey, not fine. Um, This bit where he kind of tricks him using the sun, I'm pretty sure I ripped this off of Hocus Pocus. <laughs> I think there's a scene in Hocus Pocus where they're like, daylight savings time, and they like pull the blinds and the, the witches turn to dust or whatever. Um, yeah, this is a melting... No one called us on it. It's a total kerfuffle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all, John. That's all, John Oliver. Um, I really liked 
I think probably my favorite thing about this episode, aside from how weird it is, um, is that we really got to establish Dipper and Mabel as co-leads in the series. Yeah, totally. um, that both of them were helping to solve the mystery, that they were friends, they got along. The, the, there's a line that's coming up where uh, Dipper says, I couldn't have done it without my sidekick, and Mabel says, no offense, Dipper, but you're the sidekick. Yeah. Like, that to me was a really important way to signal what this series is. Yeah, yeah. This is, that's the line right here. And Dipper's so insecure about it. Are, are people saying that? Have you heard that? <laughs> Um, there's a number of f- phrases. I decapitated Larry King. <laughs> you kids in your imagination. There's a number of colorful phrases like Stan screaming hot Belgian waffles where we needed to think of proprietary fake swearing that <laughs> yeah. would be appropriate. I'm not entirely sure where that one came from. <laughs> and this is, this is now the third episode in a row where it ends with the characters hugging, noogieing, <laughs> having a warm moment. Like, we really wanted you to bond with them and love them as a group. Yeah. This stupid gag still makes me laugh. Actually, the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> the multiple... <laughs> they had so and much the, coffee in their mouth. And then, if you listen, the crash... He says they got scalded. Crash right there. <laughs> I think in the original recording, Stan said they're dead. <laughs> but we had to cut that out. Stan going, they got scalded, and then the crash sound effect is us just like, how much violence can we get away with? This was probably the most fun day. Was getting Larry King to say, a rat stole my ear. <laughs> we, he was really sweet. He was really kind. We also learned that he would read literally anything <laughs> we wrote on a piece of paper. What was it? there was some extremely preposterous line? I mean, it's coming had. up. Oh, oh, that's right. The llama hair. Llamas are nature's greatest. <laughs> <laughs> when we realized that he was okay with every joke, I just started writing new jokes, and that llama hair one was literally just to see if he would say it. 